0: Welcome to Vita Poetica Journals podcast. We're an online journal featuring creative work explored through a spiritual lens, and a publication of the Vita Poetica Arts and Faith Collective. In today's episode, our interviews editor Emily Chambers Sharp speaks with David Zoll, the director of Mockingbird Ministries and editor in chief of the Mockingbird website. Born in New York City and brought up elsewhere. David Zoll graduated from Georgetown University in 2001 and then worked for several years as a youth minister in New England. In 2007, he founded Mockingbird in New York City. Today, David and his wife, Kate, reside in Charlottesville, Virginia. with their three boys, where David also serves on the staff of Christ Episcopal Church. He's the author of a number of books, most recently, Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others, and Yourself, which was published by Brazos in September 2022, and which he'll speak more about today. Even after all these years, he's still mourning the end of Calvin and Hobbes and hoping that Morrissey and Marr will bury the hatchet. His favorite theologian is probably a cross between Johnny Cash, Flannery O'Connor, and his brother Simeon. Here's Emily with David Zoll.
1: So welcome David Zahl to Vita Poetica. It's really exciting to get to know you. I'm gonna give a tiny bit of your bio, but more than that, I really wanna hear you get to talk. So I won't spend a lot of time here. You have just written a really great book called Low Anthropology that just came out. um, And you're also the director of Mockingbird Ministries and editor in chief of the Mockingbird website authored some other books too, which I would love to hear a little bit about and the process. And uh, you live in Charlottesville, Virginia. So um, welcome. And we are looking forward to hearing you. My favorite thing from one of your bios is a quote that says that you're mourning the end of Calvin and Hobbes. And your favorite theologian is probably a cross between Johnny Cash, Flannery O'Connor, and your brother Simeon. So um, I'm really interested in that. And maybe that's a good launching point. Could you tell us a little bit about your story? Who are you? And uh, yeah, how'd you come to be this person who's done these things in your bio?
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't, certainly didn't set out to do it. Um, <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm originally from the Northeast and I'm the son of an, of an Episcopal minister who also wrote a bunch of books. And uh, well, I grew up not really wanting to have much to do with that though. And, um, but it was, it was a very intellectual home and um, a wonderful childhood but we moved around quite a bit and ended up living in Europe for a while when I was in adolescence. And, uh, but I would say that like when it comes to like my faith, um, I felt almost like duty bound to push that away for a while. I mean, I didn't have terrible experiences of church. It was just sort of what we did because my dad was there and um, I didn't have some sort of traumatizing or, or, or particularly inspiring experience of church outside of the fact that, the the people that were around our house were people to whom Jesus uh, and God meant a great deal, and, and it didn't seem phony, it, or like um, like any kind of uh, you know caricature that you would run into in pop culture. But um, yeah, I I, I after college, you know, uh, I took a couple of biblical literacy courses. You had to at my I went to Georgetown, which is a Jesuit university, and so they make you take theology. And I took a really wonderful biblical theology uh, class from a uh, Jesuit, and um, I you know I haven't thought about that class for many years, but it did open me up. I feel like, but then what really cracked me open was some just suffering in a, my personal life, and uh, you know the 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 crash course in in Romans seven is what I would like to say. The sort of watching yourself do things you didn't know you were capable of, and or and and while also feeling. While also watching other people do those things to you. And uh, through a roundabout series of events, I found myself working as a youth minister um, and involved in a Bible study of, of people that I really were really thoughtful and caring and also very funny. And um, I was made to be a professional Christian very quickly and probably too quickly to be honest with you but I I found a facility for it and I love working with students especially I worked I worked as a youth minister in in sort of traveling youth minister in boarding schools in the northeast and I had gone to one um and it had been uh in many ways a a wonderful experience but in many ways a very lonely and spiritually desolate experience and so I felt like I was able to redeem parts of my my past or heal in that way uh and then um I grew up in the Episcopal church and the Episcopal church was going through a whole lot of, it was, it was basically 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. uh, that era of 2002 to, two, anyway, there was going major infighting and splitting and problems. And uh, it, everyone I knew who was involved in the church was, and on all sides of the various culture wars going on, everyone was miserable. So I thought, I don't really want to become a professional Minister. Um, And I was getting married. And so I moved to New York and um, where I'm from originally, and just decided to kind of keep doing youth ministry, but with an older group and a little bit more focused on the life of the mind. Um, And what I found was, you know, it was, it ended up, that was 2007. And this was right around the explosion of like the blogosphere. And we just happened to start a little blog as part of our outreach. And that we found that getting traction really quickly. And then we started publishing books and holding conferences. And over time, it just blossomed into something larger than I ever thought it would, or, or at least more robust. Um, and it was drawing all sorts of people. And the, the emphasis was always on the grace of God as it relates to sort of everyday life and um, and trying to further a, a real um, reclaiming the, the grace of God as as the central um, comfort of the Christian faith. And um, so, yeah, the, one thing led to another. We've never had a plan and I've never had a five-year plan. At one point I got asked to ghost write a book for someone or help with a draft or something. And that turned into ghostwriting And I thought, hey, you know, I can I can do this. <laughs> and so I tried to, I did it with a, I, I wrote a book about music and then um, did some bunch of publications for Mockingbird and then, Wrote uh, I got a contract to do Seculosity and and that did well enough to get a uh, contract with Brazos to do Low Anthropology okay. and so all of this just spirals you know yeah. it, 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 people aren't doing blogging now they're doing podcasting you know et cetera. and then we were like well hey we wanted something in people's hands so we started a magazine so it's been a fairly organic process that um, was completely unengineered and for that reason quite um, uh, arduous in certain ways but also really exciting in others.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a lot in your story. So I may want to ask them um, several questions just in there. Um, I think one thing that's really interesting to me is that it sounds like there was a lot of kind of organic growth for you into the work that you do. Um, and I've 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 heard you say or, or read you quoted as saying that you're sort of a writer and a speaker, um, mm-hmm. which are really a lot of sort of creative work pursuits. Um, but I also, I, I, could, I don't know if this is fair, I kind of look at you as almost like a curator as well. Um, and the first book that you mentioned, if, if I've not read it, but I had a look at it and it looks like it's a lot about sort of curating music and kind of looking at music and the intersection of that music and faith. Would you wanna talk a little bit about maybe how you see yourself? Um, does curator seem like a, an accurate description or how do you kind of, um, yeah, how would you classify what you do um, in terms of looking out at the world and reading through what you see?
2: Yeah, that's that's nice to say, like to, to hear someone who's paid enough attention to notice that. I I think my role at this point, and it could change because it's changed a number of times. But what I see that I have, uh, what, what interests me, and what I feel like I've got some facility with is um, synthesizing. So mm-hmm. the, the part of curating is synthesizing things, but i my my interests are, are fairly like wide ranging, and I've always been the what quote your culture vulture. But just to it, I love music. I I love art, and I love film, and I it's I, I love reading. So mm-hmm. what I if if I've got um what I'm trying to do is synthesize things that I'm that I'm taking in, and possibly yes curate maybe filter is another word. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the, the, certainly the, the website that Mockingbird started was more of curation. Like I want to do, here's a quote, here's a song, here's a, here's another quote, here's mm-hmm. a poem, you know, that's what I was interested in doing. I, I think I don't, I don't feel like I'm fairly terribly like original and that's what Mockingbird, the name, by the way, is like a, we're repeating what we've heard, but in terms of synthesis and translation, like that's what, um. I, I'm trying to always find new, uh, that interests me, that excites me, finding new ways to communicate timeless things.
1: You quote everything from, you know, Greek poets, Augustine, Seinfeld, you know, like <laughs> you kind of run the gamut in your new book. And I think that um, it's 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 an interesting thing to do because I like that in a way um, what I'm reading from you or what I'm hearing is that these aren't things that belong in different corners, like we can learn together. And I wonder, I I don't know if um, in your role as sort of a person who synthesizes information and communicates it out, is that something that you're passionate about? That idea that these themes or or things that you see aren't just restricted to sort of one particular um, artist or group of thinkers.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think it's, It's like it drives me crazy or, or maybe it just is I feel it's like a shame when I feel like different worlds that could be talking to each other and learning from each other aren't
1: hmm.
2: or I see some major overlap that's being missed. Um, and I think it's it, I, it's fun too. it's fun to, to take these different worlds. and But, yeah, I, I consciously avoid dividing things into high and low culture mm-hmm. because I don't in my consuming life, I rarely divide it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think that there's a – it's just exciting to approach the world, to find the red thread that goes through all sorts of creative work and into unexpected alleyways and things like that. I I don't – Yeah, I I like to say, oh, hey, this thing that this person on the far left is writing about such and such is very similar to something that someone 300 years ago said over here. They're using different terms and some of their presuppositions are different. But I think the the two things are actually not, they're both getting at something universal and um, or something that can can teach us something. So uh, and that has to do with today. I feel like we're so atomized and like siloed into different like demographics Mm -hmm. and so i really it 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 touches me when i run into something that i think is speaking on a on a subterranean level um and across divides and i think that uh, that people say "Oh, nothing can do that and I, i i feel like lots of things can do that um it might mean that like with anything creative like you have to Um, risk the fact that you could make a total fool of yourself you could be completely wrong about something Mm -hmm. but a little bit of recklessness or a little bit of courage in that respect um, goes a long way i think in terms of reaching out beyond what's the approved set of resources or oh i don't want i know where that i remember like brad bird had a movie that came out a few years ago and someone's like oh i heard that he was really into ayn rand i don't want to read anything about the incredibles anymore i thought to myself you know, I I don't think he could probably be. I haven't even seen the movie in question, but like, let's watch it first, you know, and and then we'll, you know, you did love The Incredibles, so maybe maybe he's not totally off base. And I don't like Ayn Rand either, you know. So it's, it's 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 I I that the the instead of looking for reasons to write people off, like I think it's much harder and much more worthwhile to look for things you can learn from them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I think that theme comes out really strongly through your book, this, this kind of idea that there are, there are these common things that are true about who we are as humans, and that that informs how we can relate to one another, but ultimately, I feel like and feel better about ourselves. Um, I, I don't know how that um, sounds to you, but when I read that, your book, I kept thinking, yeah, this is, this feels like it's both addressing kind of how we relate to each other, but also a little bit how we relate to ourselves.
2: Um, Absolutely. I hope that's, (laughs) I hope that comes across. Yeah. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) I I really want to make, it's a, I I take the loneliness in the world pretty seriously because I see it in myself and I see it in our, my community. And if the book can help in any way address that core loneliness uh, of people not feeling seen or heard or recognized, um, and, and and usually it has to do with the, the, omitting the darker parts of our nature, um, like that's what I wanna do. Like I wanna see a decrease in loneliness because mm. I think that's, that's sort of hell and, and, it, and it bears all sorts of terrible fruit and, and, and suffering.
1: Yeah. I wonder like this might be a good time for you to define low anthropology for us um sure and and then we could kind of get a launching point from there because that will connect i think our new to you folks um who Mm -hmm. might be reading or hearing this with your idea
2: oh thanks uh emily the um the so low anthropology i'm proceeding from the point of view that everyone has some operating theory of human nature, some idea of what it means to be human, or like uh, you hear the phrase, I'm only human a lot, uh, and everyone uses it, or th- that was such a human thing for them to do. And like, what is the content of that phrase? For It, it varies for different people. We all have these sort of theories of human nature or views of, of what it means to be human that end up creating expectations of other people uh, in our relationships, in our sort of art. You know the art we consume, in uh, in our politics, but especially I think in our, our relationship with ourselves and our religious life, our relationship with God. And so I was interested in unpacking how the the, the competing, you might say, or just the jumble of anthropologies. So like um, how they how they work out in people's lives, because I do think that there's some views of human nature that set people up for a lot of disappointment and cynicism and bitterness. And they're ones that uh set people up for awe and wonder and connection and uh, compassion. And they're not the ones you think usually. So um I, I, uh, I w- also am always interested in drilling down under underneath, as I said, like to the subterranean. And so like when I was reading discourses about stuff, I'd always see like, w- they, they, there's, some oper, there's, some, there's some sense of what it means to be human here that is different from what this person means. Or like, you know, I, if I say people never change, like that's an anthropology. Or if I say people can always change or some people never change, or I say, you know, um, I don't know, some, some people are like such and such. Uh, those are all anthropologies. Any, any type of sense of like, there are these people and those people, like that's mm-hmm. an anthropology. And so um, a low anthropology is a more sober estimation of human nature, but I would also counter to say it's a it's a comprehensive mm-hmm. view of human nature. A high anthropology basically views people through the lens of their best days and their sort of greatest accomplishments our, through the lens of our potential. Mm-hmm. And while that's wonderful, that can can tend to be that also can be kind of crushing in practice a low anthropology says people are just as much if not more or they're more reliably defined by their weaknesses than by their strengths and what i mean by that is like what ties me to you emily not even knowing you is we've probably both experienced loss in some way um just by nature of getting older you know <laughs> uh, and uh but i can't tell i don't know if we've had the same you know highs and lows in other ways, but uh, the the lows are tend to be places where we also places where people actually connect with each other are the places of, um, you know, weakness, limitation, uh, uh, I call it con conflict conflictedness. yeah So is that a, a, maybe a very broad brush, but those are what I mean by low anthropology.
1: well I think, yeah, I think that it's really helpful. I, I loved, um, I'm going to quote you from your book for just a minute, and then we'll go to the next question. I loved that you kind of wrote into this, this idea that a lot of ties to faith, I think, in low anthropology. Um, here's a quote from, I think it's around the sixth chapter. You said, perhaps faith then is the ultimate fruit of low anthropology, the willingness to admit we do not possess all the facts, not when it comes to other people, not when it comes to ourselves not when it comes to something as metaphysical as god and um i just was wondering if you could riff a little on like how does an idea like that maybe impact what folks who are interested in art and creative things um might do or how we might be
2: well that's that's wow that's such a cool question i think um Creativity is usually some form of working something out, I, I find, like an idea out or an impulse or a feeling out, or just a sort of a picture
1: mm-hmm.
2: out. And there's nothing, there's not always a point to it. It's just sort of to realize some, to express some idea that might be emotional. It might be uh, intellectual. It might be visual. It might be um, the, the the expression of the absence of an idea. I don't even know, but I I, I feel like there's always a... A, a wrestling in, in that in that particularity, and and it's it's exploratory. Like mm-hmm. um, the idea that you would find a completely finished work of art or a completely perfect work of art is almost antithetical to the very idea of art. I mean, yes, we reach at we talk about Michelangelo or something like that, or uh, people lift up Homer or you know, Moby Dick or. I don't know what it is for the the, the the viewers it could be the you know the most recent Taylor Swift record is pretty perfect you know but it's I I, I don't think the idea there, there's always some door left open and that's where the creative impulse plays out um, so the uh, what I'm talking about there in terms of uh, not having all the facts the the allowance a low anthropology, um, Basically proceeds from the conviction that you can never be fully a master of anything or com- done with something, and so uh, it is. It is almost it undermines certainty um, on a on a core level. The, the only certainty is uncertainty. I really be- believe that at least. And the only works of art that are interesting are ones that are not that are not uh, you know they are not pedantic. That are not saying here's. They're not. Necessarily teaching, they may teach in in a way that they you know that's almost secondary, but they're not um, like that's what why people don't like Christian art uh, music a lot of times. It's like they've got a they've got a conclusion they've come to, and then they're sort of working backward from that rather than the art being the process by which they sort of come to some kind of conclusion or some sort of expression. And so the lack of certainty that we experience is a call to humility um, yes, in our relationships, yes, in our own, in our life with God. But if you see life through that lens, I think that means there's always possibility for more. There's always, uh, another step to be taken, another stroke to be, you know, another, another work of art. I, I, my, my wife's a painter Mm. and, uh, she kind of knows when paintings are finished. Um, and yet the first thing she wants to do is do the next one. Like, Mm. um, because she, and, and I noticed that artists who work on one, you know, 12 years on one painting um, sometimes just go crazy you know, because <laughs> you're trying to say everything. I had a, I had a, 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 another fellow writer here in Charlottesville said, I was really struggling with writing this book. And he said, don't write your vindication. Mm. Meaning uh, don't, try to think you can include everything about this, everything about yourself, everything about these ideas in here. Mm -hmm. And if you do, you are going to be shackled under a law that is going to paralyze you. But instead, there's always going to be one corner left unfinished that you can explore the next time around.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? I mean, it keeps us being able to actually create things if we're free not to feel like, it has to be this complete or whole or mastered item. I'm curious as, as you were just talking about that, you said this was a bit of a struggle. Would you mind like letting us peek into what was your process? Like, what are, what do you do? Um, It doesn't have to be super formal. I think we're all always interested as creatives in knowing like, how are people getting anything done and, and, and what are things that you've enjoyed? What were the stumbling blocks maybe you faced?
2: Yeah, that's I love process questions because I like I'm because I'm interested in in that, too. Uh, Well, it was it was it was a tough there are parts of the book that were really fun to write and parts of it that were really hard to write um, because you're delving. It's like, you know, I I preach at our church a lot. And like if you're ever going to preach an effective sermon, you have to sort of figure out where you're connecting with the material um, or it's going to ring false. I think if you're just trying to convey information. So to delve into the parts of oneself that I'm talking about in the book um, for it to have any kind of authority is exhausting. Um, And I find that to be, um, and even if I'm talking about something completely, that's not ostensibly personal, I have to have some buy-in if I'm going to be interested or if I'm going to, if it's going to quote unquote, come, come through the page. So um, there's, first of all, like there's the material that, 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 that I've chosen to write about um, which is, uh, weakness, limitation, self-centeredness, uh, conflictedness, and the beautiful fruit that flows from a from a from an understanding of humanity that can allow for those things, mm-hmm. and yet the experience of those things in and of themselves is often quite painful. So that was a difficult. Um, I wrote the book though mostly during COVID, uh, yeah. Yeah. during the lockdown. I had signed a contract before. I think in two thousand and. Yeah, in the, the January of 2020. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so I thought I was going to be able to deliver the manuscript much more quickly. And I'm a person that writes uh, I in coffee shops, mm-hmm. uh, in, in public spaces. I don't really write in my office because it's a lot of people coming through. I've got too many toys. <laughs> and uh, I don't really write. I can't write in like a cabin in the woods. Uh but all of a sudden, all my favorite coffee shops were closed, <laughs> yeah.
1: uh,
2: and that was hard. Uh, and then, um, so that kind of that was difficult. And then, uh, COVID itself confronts you with, or the the lockdowns they here in Charlottesville, which were um, more aggressive. I realize now than than a lot of the country experienced. So my mm-hmm. I didn't have a universal experience with that, but it was uh, it forced you into contact with other things that were usually pretty difficult so um I was way behind on the book and then I uh we went on vacation actually and uh there was a library that was opened up in the beach town where we were and I just went to the library and that really got me going and the other thing that happened frankly I got stuck and I got depressed like really depressed um a, and uh, my younger brother, who I thank in the acknowledgments, and he's an academic and a theologian, and I, about being my hero, um, mm-hmm. he uh, had the wherewithal to fly across the ocean. And you know, he's got three kids and a wonderful wife, and and he he came and helped me for a week and sort of jump started the project. Um, and then once it once it uh, gets going, then the momentum you can just follow it, and it's really fun. Uh, but it was a stop start thing and I kind of look back and my therapist says like I can't believe you got a book written during COVID you know (laughs)
0: yeah
2: remember those early days of the lockdowns like you know what was it Shakespeare wrote King Lear oh yeah
1: yeah what are you
2: what are you gonna do I "I I guess I I guess I got this done and um I had a really good editor Caitlin Beatty was wonderful uh helpful and she you know I had another I had another chapter actually all about art um that we cut, so wow. it was, it, was it, it needed to be a certain size and, and that was more of a, a, she was right about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's something that you can share down the road. Uh, <laughs> it was a, it's, it's really interesting, like hearing your process and just your story so far, there's been a few themes um, mm. that you've oh. talked about sort of loneliness and depression. And mm-hmm. I noticed in the book as well, I mean, those are sort of the stories you related a lot to kind of open yourself, to show kind of your personal stake in understanding the world through this low anthropology lens. Um, I think those are pretty common human experiences. Um, and I think that, that we've all, especially folks who are in the creative life, I think there's often you know, just times of loneliness, and especially in the process. I wonder, as you've sort of put the art out there, um, has it felt any different than in the time of the creation of it?
2: Well, there's, um, I, I, I guess all writers or I think all human beings are pretty sensitive when you get down to it yeah. and I'm uh, thin skinned. So I, uh, <sighs> I'm i both ex- really excited for people to read this thing that I've been working on and I really think it's as good as a thing as I can make. And and it, it, when I say I, I'm referring to the committee of people that worked on this book, um, that I'm very fortunate to have, you know, you know, the goodwill and help of. Uh, so there's a real excitement about that. When you write a book, it's it's. I mean, my wife. I talked about painting. Like she 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 can. She's had an exhibit, you know, and um, and had about 15 paintings in it. Uh, with a with a book, it's one. You know yeah. <laughs> if it's not a good one or if you put your eggs in the wrong basket, <laughs> there's a gamble to it that is scary um the uh so i I'm both really touched by the by the fact that folks have been have been understanding it uh, you frustrated i you know the criticism I get was sort of expected, mm. but um also uh not not threatening like that said like uh. I'm I'm a sensitive person. So I want to like um there, there's no aspect of, of this creative process where you can kind of deaden your senses, I don't think. And sometimes I wonder, you know, my, my wife's like, you know, you sure this is this is a lot. And to put yourself out there this much and open yourself up to this much judgment and this much critique on a single project that you spent two years on, it's it's uh, you. You kind of wonder. She's like, "Are you insane?" And I, <laughs> I say, "Don't mind, I guess I am." But um, the more I hear that people are touched by it, or they're resonating on the same frequency, and when I talk about loneliness, you know, I, I feel less lonely. Certainly, having written something, and when it when it when I feel like people have truly understood it, and a lot of people already have have understood this book. I don't think it's a hard book to read,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that's very intentional. Like that, I work really hard to make sure it's easy to digest. Mm-hmm. But the more you hear from people being like, oh, I feel seen, I feel like, uh, I had a, I've had a couple people, and it, it was funny, it was it was both like women in their 60s that told me like, I felt better with every page of this book, like I just felt so seen and heard, and then here I am a man in his 40s, and like, that's a really cool thing to hear, and that they didn't feel like it was some condemnation, that it actually was the burden lifting thing that I intended it to be.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I think well, and it's interesting. I mean, it does seem like it relates a lot to your lived story, going back to the very beginning. I mean, you talked about your boarding school experience, right? Um, there was something that you felt, uh, you know. I can almost imagine as a as a teenager, and now later, you're saying maybe from this place, <laughs> right? There's something yes. that we all share. I think I think that's really very very cool. Um, I noticed, I mean, this is a little bit of a shift of gears and hard from loneliness to go into this maybe, but um you put out a playlist, I think, to go along with your book. And I just would love to hear you talk about kind of what are those songs? Where did they come from? How does it relate to either the subject or the process or you just like them, anything? <laughs>
2: Oh, that's such a good question. I never, you know, music is my greatest passion and I don't get asked about it almost ever. Uh, I have a podcast called The Well of Sound which is like my great extracurricular thing I do which mm-hmm. is just deep dives into music with a friend of mine here it has no no uh, Christian u- or religious utility whatsoever yeah. outside of the fact that good art is beautiful, I think. Um, uh, well, I, I had songs in mind. I had, it, this is not a group of songs that I listened to while I was writing the book. It's a group of songs that sort of capture the themes of the book, the themes of the book being sort of, um, l- being loved in the middle of weakness and what it means to be human and what it means to be, um, I- I- acknowledged. I mean, it starts with a song, the only I uh, probably my favorite John Mellencamp song. And I'm not, I don't really know his catalog. I love but The song called human wheels, which mm. is about sort of the, the, human suffering and and self-defeating things just going on and on. And yet he's written this beautiful song about it. So that there's something, to write something beautiful about something discouraging is like, I think part of the interplay of this. And then it, it, it shifts to a Morrissey song and he's one of my heroes and it's about everybody being lost we're just mm. pretending that we're not lost and and they're, they're, that that commonality is is uh, something I'm trying to get through I mean I could go through song by song um there's uh there's I mean why is blood uh, just put out a song called <laughs> um, it's not uh you it's everybody <laughs> um and she just talks about how she as, as, as she's gotten older coming to the knowledge that like, we're all in the same boat together yeah. but then it 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 i mean the it ends with a um with uh a, a, a song by damian rice it's about bringing your true concerns to god and who you are and that the, god cares about the real you not the yeah. false you and um there's a song about surprise because i really think that the life of low anthropology is not a life of Cynicism. It's actually a life where, given what y- human beings are like, given the burden of life, uh, it, how amazing is it that such beautiful things happen on such uh, a frequent basis? And uh, I feel grateful t- for to the music that kind of inspires me. I, I don't even know. I just put a new Marcus Mumford song about on there that came out about yeah. uh, the the, the mid- life Phoebe Bridger sings on, and it, life boils down to sort of like. Uh, the the drawing the line in the sand and like how do we this book is very much a book that tries to erase the lines in the sand mm. that put us uh that separate us i think from god <laughs> but uh i don't know what else is on there i i'd have to i have to look at it there's a new johnny marr song called human mm. um but I, I'm a music is music is the language of my my personal heart.
1: Hmm.
2: Oh yeah, there's a song by The The on there uh, called Slow Motion Replay. The chorus is Everybody knows what's going on in the world, but I don't even know what's going on in myself. Oh. Um, uh, there's a song by Mavis Staples that Jeff Tweedy wrote. You are not alone. I'm lonely too. Like that's hmm. a uh, there's a song by Florence and the Machine about freedom coming from the sort of uh, acknowledgement that. She's not free. <laughs> and the anxiety, there's a video for that that's just unbelievable. Not uh, the her, one with Bill. Um, yeah, Bill Nye. Yeah, just yeah. following her around. <laughs> her anxiety. I'm sort of like her inner, inner critic. And um, what, oh, there's, uh, there's an Abba song about being Jekyll and Hyde and not understanding our own motives. There's some prayers in there. One of the core ideas in the book is that if you're an incomplete person, you need help. Um, not -hmm. just from God though, from other people. So it's like, this is low anthropology is not, um, an invitation to shame. It's an invitation to friendship and collaboration. And, um, again, as I said, surprise and and the surprise Mm -hmm. of love and the reality of grace. And I, I really, um, there's, so there's, there's, there's songs on there about people help people, uh, and God being the ultimate help uh all i need is everything tame Paula's song feels like we only go backwards <laughs> uh and then there's some a bunch of songs by brian wilson about um love in the midst of uh failure which i think is real love god you, love. Have,
1: you have a great quote in the book about love that i am i'll quote you to you again and i don't remember where in the book this is so i'll just have to but it takes enormous courage to see the world as it truly is and move forward in love and I really I like that because even with the list of songs that you're talking about, it sounds like I'm hearing that theme, this idea of like, let's see ourselves as we are. Let's see what's happening as it really is, but also still love. Yes, um, is that it's, a not a, it's not a
2: depressing. I don't think it's a depressing playlist at all. And no. I don't think it's a depressing book in the slightest. No. And but and that's why I tried it in the cover. I wanted it to be upbeat. I was like, this is actually really great news. Um, although it sounds to modern ears a little defeating, but it's much more defeating to be told that you can do everything. You can have it all, be it all, uh, care about it all. And just, you haven't been able to figure out how to strike the right balance yet. I mean, that's much more defeating. Mm -hmm. Um, But what were you, what were you, what did you ask? Well, I was kind of
1: saying that's almost sort of the miracle as well, right? The idea that not only can we see the world as it is, but we've sort of been seen as we are and there's love. Um, and I I feel like that's what a lot of the theme here is trying to remind us, like that facing reality, mm. um, it, It's it goes beyond, I guess what I, I'm wondering, I think a lot of us have been exposed to ideas, like there's been a sort of increasing dialogue around vulnerability, like Brene Baron that you quote in the book or others but there's something beyond that um about kind of saying okay it's real messy but now what and i think that idea of 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 moving forward in love or grace that you're trying to wrestle with for yourself and for us um in this in this text i don't know what do you think is that something that might help us is is there something beyond just being vulnerable
2: (laughs) that's such a perceptive observation i you know i i kept Reading and I, I, I think highly of those those books. But I was read book after book after book about the beauty of vulnerability or something like that. And I want to say, uh, and I, I I like that it's it's so much better than the perfectionism that I uh, sort of comes naturally to me and to so many other people of the of type A high achieving, neurotic, Westerners. But it um there's always a sort of like if we can just sort of acknowledge that we're all sort of a little messed up and and a little like messy then that's okay and there's like a, um but there was never any ve- like much room for like well what about the people who's on whom our mess gets spilled. You know, if I'm depressed, yes, that's terrible. And I, you have sympathy with me, but I also, that means I've got three children and a wife that needs to like pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. And it's not neutral. People are so scared of any kind of value judgment. You want to say, yes, there's brokenness in the world. And that with a lot of these books, I, that, what, that's what sh- that thought, Oh, people are really open to these ideas. We're burnt out enough at this point that we can sort of entertain some of this stuff. So a lot of the stuff that I was reading was coming from secular sources mm-hmm. even though brene's a churchgoer uh, and I thought we we could go beyond that. It's not just enough to um acknowledge that we're all captive to things and that we're all broken and that we're all um vulnerability is the birthplace of love but it I want more I want I want I want the actual proclamation of love in the midst of vulnerability and vulnerability is not just some. You know, I I would never want to speak for someone as like, you know, accomplished as, as, as Brene, but there's a lot of the disciples that, uh, that, that want to avoid any kind of value judgment because they think it's related to shame. Mm -hmm. But in fact, you end up then like starting to. A curated view of 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 of, of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability can become a performance, and what we really need is not just a greater admission of vulnerability. We need uh, forgiveness and um, mm-hmm. reconciliation, and some way forward. And for me, that's God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, For me that's not uh so so the book is not really meant to just be a reconceiving of your own weaknesses though i hope that happens i hope that that it allows people a little permission to be honest and or transparent but i really also want to point it to the great change agent and uh source of goodness and light in the world which as a christian i believe is god so (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that's really wonderful um And I think it's, it is a good news story when you, when you put it like that, like that there's, there's not just being seen, but also being loved while being seen. Um, I wonder just, uh, if you could share with us, you've, you've told us some of your passions around music and some of your interests, would you mind sharing some of what inspires you? Like who, who do you look to, um, who, who helps get you kind of creatively flowing or what's interesting for you?
2: sure um I'll, I'll tell you tell you two things mm-hmm. well first of all right the, these days the the biggest pastor in the sense of a writer uh someone who's spoken to my soul is nick cave the mm-hmm. um, songwriter and who's become he's a very religious voice and has become increasingly christian in his uh, view of the world he's just got a new book called love faith and carnage mm-hmm. long uh um, I've had the chance to read. It's it's unbelievably profound, but he's got the re- the red hand files is where he answers people's questions about life. Yeah. And most of his um, because he writes about such darkness and he's he's constantly he's unflinching in his view of human nature. He's actually and he's had two children die. Um, wow. He has uh, he's when you when you read him talk about God faith grace you believe it you know it's mm-hmm. it's not um, it's not Pollyanna. So he and he writes these letters to people with so much wisdom and also with so many beautiful turns of phrase that I find them. They speak to my soul and they get me wanting to write the um, the writers that really inspired this book, like uh, Alan de Baton, is a very uh, he's an English uh, Swiss atheist who Mm -hmm. writes a lot of books that he's where he's borrowing from Christianity. He's borrowing basically low anthropology and grace to some extent, but he just can't go all the way. Um, and I've found his books to be deeply resonant with uh, people. And I wanted to write a version of that that was probably a little more, um, American and less erudite. And, um, and, and also, as I say, I, I believe Augustine's not just right about humanity, but also God. Um, the writers though that i most often recommend are um <laughs> late middle-aged uh christian women who are in recovery like those are the those are the women that i find or the the voices that i find to be the most effective today and by that i mean there's a triumvirate of them mm-hmm. mary Carr is the catholic version of that nadia bols weber is the uh is the progressive Lutheran Christian version of that. And Anne Lamott is the sort of uh, West Coast hippie Presbyterian version of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, I find that these are women who because their addiction has confronted them with certain truths about themselves. They do not have a high anthropology.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They go a little further than a Brene Brown does. And mm-hmm. they're also rooted in the deep understanding of God as savior and as Jesus, as like comfort, as, as grace. And so those, those three, I, I just asked myself, what is it about these, you know, women in this particular age bracket and, you know, generation or experience. I was like, Oh my gosh, they're all in recovery. Mm-hmm. And they've all made the connected the dots between that understanding of humanity and God. And because they're women of a certain age, perhaps they've got the, they're all gifted poetically, but they're, they actually can uh, speak um, from the gut a little bit from the heart uh, and, and they're funny. So um something about that point of view is what inspires me
1: yeah i mean that's great i love it um i think that it's really interesting to me it always has been like how many creative types out there um like those that you just mentioned are all wonderful examples um but even the stephen king book on writing which i just think is incredible and that's he actually talks about how recovery played a huge role in him becoming better right at at sort of writing and um and and even sort of giving writing the right role in his life i think and i thought that was a really interesting thing that as an artist i, I don't know if you know the book but there's this part where he talks about like having a giant desk that sort of consumed an entire room and oh, when you
2: know the book it's it's yeah. I don't know it's a great book it's yeah. a daunting in certain ways but it's a- yeah
1: it is but then he said when he got sober he like tore the desk down mm-hmm. and replaced it with something normal you know like and i thought what an interesting thing like kind of right sizing even that in his life right wow. <laughs> you no know? so
2: yeah. you know, that's isn't that true i i uh, that that book though when he says i go into a room and i lock the door and don't come out till two thousand words have written that's not me I, no uh, i'm
1: not yeah no i think but i think Anne Lamott, actually her advice is like five minutes just do five <laughs> like just just go right five minutes
2: yeah, you know? this, the phenomenon of the shitty first draft is a tr- truly liberating experience
1: it's a it's a really her shitty first draft ex- yes I, I use it for work stuff all the time like when i'm struggling with something i'm like i'm just gonna turn in rubbish
2: and okay. At least it's done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't try my boss. <laughs> I love the process of editing. And mm-hmm. again, that's a process of collaboration, but it's also like, it's fun to make things a little bit better. And yeah. it's why I um, I love it. I love hearing about bands mixing albums because they've recorded something and then the mixing is where it sort of, they fit the pieces together
1: yeah. and
2: make things just a little bit better. And, uh, and then they sometimes go back and remix it later and then it makes it a little slightly different too. And I I find those that process to be tremendously rewarding.
1: As a person that maybe I'll ask you this as, as before we close because you, on your website, I mean, you're an editor and you're also seeking out content, putting things together. Um, what is it like for you to work with and relate to all these other writers and artists? Um, and I know in the magazine, you actually also do visual arts, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, artists are difficult. Like that's for the most part, like they're they're all we're self-absorbed to be is, is a is a nice way to put it a lot of times, but there's also there's it's tremendously rewarding. It's not um uh that, that that's, a, that's a that's a that's a gross generalization. And I meet so many people and, and the, the triumvirate of women I just mentioned, I've gotten to meet all of them and they're unbelievably kind. Um uh and i've heard the same thing about nick cave uh, <laughs> i do like it i find that writers are competitive too though and i, I that, that side of my nature is not my favorite side of my nature <laughs>
0: um
2: you know um people rooting for your book but also wanting their own book to do well and the games you have to play today to market and to promote are, are aimed at i think undermining the creative mindset in a way that is undeniable, but it's also like, we have to learn to live with it, I guess. I, um, so I, there's nothing cooler than when you read a book that, that you, in, that you inspired in some way,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or you see a someone that, you know, at a, at a Mockingbird conference, they'll give me a, like a sculpture that they made based on some podcast we did. And like, that is so, that to me is, um, so unexpected and surprising and, and neat. Like, I love those moments. Um, But I also, you know, you you, you, I think it's important to have a few colleagues who are writers and um, can tell you, hey, Dave, this is this is not good or this is uh, you need to revisit this or this isn't working or or they've got their own thing that they need to feed into and, and say, I'm not sure you've you really read this person and that would be helpful. And I get to, because of my work with Mockingbird, I get to be surrounded by interesting folks like that. And uh, some people, times people, when you talk about curation, I get asked all the time, how do you find time to read everything you read? And I was like, I don't. Like I have friends that say, this is the thing you should read and not that. So Mm -hmm. um, it's the community effort that makes this kind of a lot more fun. And, but also the community effort or the, the competition effort that makes it um, draining. So,
1: Yeah, Yeah. well, thank you so much for sharing a bit of time with us and um, helping us to see a little bit about your kind of writing and creative life and to understand a bit more about Low Anthropology.
0: That was author David Saul speaking with our Interviews Editor, Emily chambers Sharp. You can find a transcript of the interview through the link in our episode notes. Before signing off, I do have a small request for our podcast listeners. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, one thing that helps us reach more people is if you could write a review on whatever platform you use to listen. The podcast is really an extension of our quarterly online journal, in a format that we hope makes it easier for busy people to engage with the arts and spirituality. Instead of sitting in front of a screen, we hope that these episodes, both short and long form, can accompany you, perhaps on a walk, or a drive, or as you're doing chores around the home. So if you could take a moment to rate and review the podcast, that would help it become more visible to others. You might also consider sharing this with someone who might be interested, or making a donation to help sustain the work we're doing to publish creative work that engages spirituality. You can find links to share and donate in today's episode notes. Thanks so much for your time and your support. You can learn more about Vita Poetica at the website in our podcast description, www.vitapoetica.org, where you can find details on how to submit to the journal and other ways to get involved. Thanks for listening, and more soon.